Hello and welcome back to the Troy Stories Podcast. I am still your host, Adam Maya. I mean, of course I am. It's my show. I don't know why I said that. But I think because it's been a couple weeks since I've recorded, been a couple crazy ones here at USC, and I wasn't able to, to get that show in, and I feel bad about it, but I'm going to make up for it today. I'm here with Eric McKinney of WeRSC.com. Been excited to talk to you uh, about this week and, and a lot of other things have happened in the last few weeks. Uh, don't even know where to begin, but let me just say hello. How are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, like you mentioned, kind of, uh, it's an interesting time here right now. I mean, uh, there are so many questions and, and we'll obviously provide definitive answers to all of them. <laughs> Everything is, is really laid out easily, I think, right now. Yeah, it's weird because there's like a palpable tension even though it's been quiet, mm-hmm. but it's like too quiet. Mm-hmm. And, and so everyone kind of reads into it differently or interprets that in their own way. Uh, I think we should just begin with Clay Helton mm-hmm. and what we think is happening and, and what this weekend means, if anything. I, you know, at this point, I, I think I am most comfortable saying he will coach against UCLA. Yeah. And then I think I'm most comfortable saying he will not coach against Alabama next year. Okay. In terms of everything kind of in between that, bowl game, potential, yeah. you know, Pac-12 championship game. I like this. I, I don't know what, I like what the timing would be yeah. on on anything kind of coming. And I so, so obviously I don't see a path for him to come back and, and continue as the head coach. Um, and I don't really see a, a clear path on, you know, this is the exact best time or date to, to make that announcement or, or decision. I mean, I, I yeah. think that you want to do it early um, because there is some importance in that early signing period and, and to be able to let a new coach come in and, and kind of put all of that together. Um, but that, you know, then you have sort of that. Utah has that game, and there is a potential chance that if they lose the game while USC is on the bye, then USC can go to the Pac-12 championship game. I, I mean, I'm I'm curious your thoughts. My my take is that doesn't matter. You're you're not playing for the next two weeks or or even two right. months. That you're you're doing this for two years, five years, you know, ten years from now. Right. This is kind of a, a big picture situation that you're in right now, where it whoever's coaching the bowl game or you know even potentially the Pac-12 championship game it, it's not it's not as important well the perspective that you shared you could throw me in there you could throw the rest of the media in there you could throw the entire fan base but who we don't know if they are in that boat is the people in charge mm-hmm. because there are new people in charge mm-hmm. And that's kind of the hard part here. I feel like I I maybe even would have a better handle if Lynn Swan were still the athletic director, perhaps. Uh, Where I think, like, if you're in the Pac-12 title game, you're staying for now. And if you're not, then you're not. Mm -hmm. And he made that decision last year. I mean, you feel comfortable saying it, I think, because you've seen him make the decision. He obviously was not comfortable at all with the thought of having to go in a different direction and and get rid of of Clay Hill. Yeah. Right now, with a new athletic director and even by extension, a new president, I think that's partly why, while the rumors are still out there and they've been kind of wild, I mean, ones that I've 
been made familiar with. It's been quiet from, I would say, a lot of credible people. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone's kind of waiting and wondering. But the plan that I'd heard for all along that remained consistent, even going back to like, September when they lost to BYU, was that they wanted Clay to coach this season. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, by that point, Lynn was already out. And Gabe Roberts was the interim athletic director. And then he went on the record you know, publicly with the LA Times and said, barring extraordinary circumstances, which that could not materialize. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that would have been like a three, four-game losing streak. Sure. And they were you know, three and five, three and six. Mm-hmm. But, something off the field or yeah. know, things like that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, if they had cause, they don't. Uh, not in a, in a legal sense, and, and therefore, I expected he would get to this UCLA game, and in a way, it, he's probably unlucky that they have this buy and they have this break between Utah because you can make the coaching change while still behind Utah, and then end up being in this Pac-12 title game a week later, but they've already made the change because there's an urgency to make it because of recruiting. Mm-hmm. Not because of the bowl game or you know who, would, who the staff would be for that game and, and how practices would be laid out. None of that really matters right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's all about that early signing period. If there was a way for Clay to, to come back, I think people just want to know definitively if he's coming back or not. And I would say this. I think the path that he would have needed would have been beating Oregon sure. and, and being 9-3 and three and being in that Pac-12 title game mm-hmm. in a more, I guess, convincing way. Mm-hmm. Or if he had a really stellar recruiting class lined up, right? Because sure. they've already turned their season around a couple games and... Let's say they beat UCLA and they do have eight wins. That's already three off the regular season, and they're going to probably end up in a in a legitimate bowl, mm-hmm. if you will, right? I mean, a respectable bowl, right. right? I mean, at worst it will be the Holly Bowl. It might be the Alamo Bowl, depending on how Oregon and Utah shake out. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the third seed from the Pac-12. That's not the expectation or the goal, but coming off of where they were, that, that's a that's a noted improvement. Mm-hmm. If he had a good recruiting class, then I think it would get interesting here. But they don't. And the problem is with recruiting, you had guys in this 2020 class, and and really maybe two or three local players that you had to get. And it's not so much that they didn't get them, it's that those... Those players, and, and you're talking, you know, quarterback Bryce Young and, and linebacker Justin Flo, kind of the, the two big-name guys where it's not just that they're, they're not going to USC at this point, but they were sort of big public statements about how they're not. And I yeah. understand at the quarterback position, it, when you have a true freshman doing what Keaton Slovis is doing, it's hard to get guys to line up behind him. You look at the quarterback landscape, guys bail. They leave. The quarterbacks do not stick around anymore. If there's somebody ahead of them, they go find a place where they can play early. So I understand that there's that sort of circumstance, but when you have a, a modern-day quarterback like Bryce Young, who's mm-hmm. been committed for that long, yeah. when he flips to Alabama, it says something. When Justin Flo releases a top four list, instead of five or six and just keeping USC in there, when he does that and Oregon is on there and USC is specifically not on there, 
to me that you know that's a statement of where recruiting is right now for USC, and, and right. that's a tough thing to overcome. I, I understand USC; they can close well, they can bring guys back into the fold that didn't look like they were, you know, that that looked like they were heading elsewhere. To your point, where where recruiting stands right now, it's tough to say we want to keep going in that direction because that direction doesn't seem to be positive with this 2020 class. Yeah, yeah, and so even if you were glass half full about clay or or looking for the positives and believing the improvement in the record and uh, and on the field. I've thought all along that they were a better team this year than last year. Oh yes, and I, and I didn't really get caught up in the schedule. I know they were three and three at one point, mm-hmm. and last year they were four and two. I still thought this team was quite a bit better. Mm-hmm. They had a tougher schedule in the first half of the year. They're playing so I, harder. I mean, it, you yeah. know, like they responded. Yeah, it, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, that that they're better. They're not worlds apart, but they're better. Mm-hmm. They're uh, and they're not even they're not where they were in 2017 uh, or 2016, obviously, but they're better than last year. Did you start? And for me, I think that's kind of the point. Is is you mentioned having the buy, not knowing if you're going, you know, your season's done, not knowing if you're going to the Pac-12 championship game. So there becomes an interesting thing on if you make that move. Then, if you if if USC gets into the Pac-12 championship game, it's because Utah loses to either Arizona or Colorado. Mm-hmm. That's not the way. That you know, I mean, that doesn't yeah. become a reward for USC. The fact that they got in that way, USC had their own chances to be able to go in. They they had to either win at Washington, which certainly now when you look back at it, I, I understand you're playing with your third string quarterback, but it felt like now when you look back at it, it feels like maybe they didn't think they could win. Maybe they thought Washington was better than they were. If they play again, I think USC does a lot better against Washington. And, and then you had Oregon, and you. Didn't win either of those games. Had you gone and beaten Notre Dame, you could kind of stand on that and say, hey, you know, at least we have that that right. Notre Dame win. Even if USC makes it to the Pac-12 championship game this season, it, it'll feel like they didn't earn it. And I don't know if then that changes the narrative in terms of talking about the head coach, where you if you get in because this other team did something that, you know, on paper, they say it certainly shouldn't play out where Utah loses one of these last two games. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people feel that way about the, the entire situation. What we don't know on record is how new athletic director right. Mike Bone feels about it. Mm-hmm. With that said, without you know having that, that insight from him, I think he's here at this very time to make this change because they offered this job to multiple people and... They were declined more than once. And not to at all diminish the candidacy of of Mike Bone, but they didn't have to hire him. But ultimately they did because they were looking for A, an outside voice, and B, someone that was qualified. And he fit the bill on both accounts. And they need someone to hire a coach. They need someone that knows how to do that. Because Dave Roberts wasn't prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. Dave Roberts didn't even want to fire a coach. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact of the matter is he didn't want to do that. Right. And he doesn't have to because they hired an athletic director. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to go hire a coach because they hired an athletic director. Mm-hmm. So 
Mike Bone is here at this time. Uh, in you know, he came in early November. It's now mid-November. He came for this reason. You know, to do two things. First and foremost was to move on Clay, and and then move toward another coach. Mm-hmm. And, and this is his career. This, this is his legacy, this hire. He's going to get credit for Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. If, if, if Cincinnati's program keeps going the way it's going, that looks like a great hire. That is a small footnote in Mike Bone's AD history when you're talking, you know, 10 years from now or whenever he decides to retire. This is the decision that is the, that, that's his kind of legacy yeah. career yeah. maker. And, and, and yeah, it's... It would be, it would be kind of shock of shocks if he decided his decision is going to be to stick with Clay Helton, who's even here for a year and, and under fire, even and, for one year, right? It, right. It, look what happened to Lynn, right? Lynn retained him, and in doing so, is mistaken for hiring him. People just associate Lynn with with Clay. But this would be this. This decision would be higher. I mean, it, it would no, be no, the I, same. No, I look at it. I look right. at it, and, and right. that happened a year ago with Lynn. Right. But my point is, right. people now probably have forgotten that. Sure. Lynn did not hire Clay. Sure. Uh, he extended him, which is just a financial thing more than anything. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't lock them into anything. Mm-hmm. But he extended him coming off the 2017 season because the two years that he'd been with Clay were two great years. Right. I wouldn't have given him the extension, but the point is, that's why it happened. And then within a year of that, he was tasked with possibly firing him, mm-hmm. and he didn't do it. And by not doing it, he got the axe. Right. Right. I mean, if Lynn Swan had fired Clay last year and hired whomever, but like, let's just say he was a good coach, mm-hmm. then... And I think just a lot of things that, that we don't know uh, about, you know, in, involvement with all the different scandals that happened. I don't think he's gone. I, I'm, I don't know. Because I, when, when Carol Folk comes in, she is, she's serious about these kinds of things. And she understands how an athletic department is supposed to look from the inside and from the outside. I would have been curious because, again, I, I think it was a little bit like... Mike Bone coming in the way you talked about his decision on a, on right. a coach. Yeah, that's what she came I mean, in for. She came in yeah. knowing I, I need to bring in my yeah. director. Yeah. No, and, right. and, and yes, part of that is because of what was going on with the football program at that time. I think part of it was she knew that she needed an athletic director, uh, again, who had done the job before and that she could rely on to know that they were making the right move kind of in, in lockstep with right. the way she saw things going. Yeah. So, I mean, so I would have been a little bit surprised <laughs> right. if if he had, if Linson wanted to sit down, just because it, it was so clear that so much of his decisions were kind of first-time athletic director yeah. decisions, just, just kind of from optics where things were going on at USC's campus and he was kind of nowhere to be found or he wasn't involved in, in right. certain things. And that just... I think enough of those, and it's kind of okay. Let, it's it's time to get somebody here who yeah. at least knows where they should be, and I, that's certainly what we've seen from from Mike Bone early. I think it was definitely a matter of when, not if, for him. I just don't know that when would have been September, sure. uh, right? If he sure. if he had hired like Matt Rule, right, and that was the coach right now, right, and USC is not, you know ten and zero or whatever, right. right. <laughs> 
I, I don't think Glenn would Yeah, sure, that's different. You know, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and but but no, he, he didn't, and, and that was more of a pattern of his kind of uh, indifference, mm-hmm. right? I, I guess that's the best that's word fair. I could think of. And and Clay was a, you know a microcosm of that. So I think that's what, what Bone is here to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it happened now. Uh, if they weren't urging about a coaching change, then they probably could have held off a little bit longer on hiring an athletic director. Sure. But at the end of the day, they, they brought him in, you know, just kind of in the nick of time, if you will, before the end of the season. I think a lot of people just were hoping that it would mean Clay would be already gone. But realistically, he's not going to show up on a Thursday and fire Clay on Monday. Right. Well, there's no, I mean, there's no, there's no rush to, again, you're not, you're not saving the season or recruiting class or, you know, any, anything like that. But you can salvage it, I I believe, to an extent in the next few weeks. Sure. There is that possibility. It's going to be hard. It exists. It's going to require the right hire, Mm -hmm. but, but it is doable. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, even Justin Flo is uncommitted. Right. And Bryce... If you get the right guy, yeah, you're USC, you can I mean, turn things on in a weekend. Bryce Young, I'm glad you bring him up because I think about like Justin Fields initially going to Georgia. Right. Even though they had a freshman quarterback because they know how to recruit and yeah. they could get him in there. And I know that he ultimately left, but the point is they did get him in the building like mm-hmm. they should have. Like they were guessing to, mm-hmm. and so was USC with right. Bryce Young. Right. I mean, at this point for me with quarterback recruiting, it, it almost feels like if you if you start a guy, if you eventually start a guy, it's better that he commit and sign somewhere else first. I mean, it, it feels like more quarterbacks are starting at programs that they transferred into than they signed with at a high school. So uh, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, quarterback recruiting is... You, you take a guy that you like and you see what shakes out you yeah. know, down the road. If, yeah. if he has to play as a true freshman, you better have brought somebody in right. who's ready to go. But it's, it's kind of at the point where you don't worry about where guys end up because there's probably going to be a chance for them later to, to transfer back to, right. to your program. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a, definitely a new era and hard to, hard to predict, but... Uh, I think that there are a handful of kids. And in fact, I've been told that there are a handful of legitimate recruits mm-hmm. who still want to be here and are open to coming and, and might end up here, but they're waiting. I mean, they're not committing now. They're not saying much. They're waiting on what USC does. They don't know. They don't know definitively mm-hmm. uh, what actually will transpire with Helkin and a new coach. But I think it, I, I think you can say, and, and with recruiting, it's so hard to say definitively. I mean, there's stuff where it's, oh, I'm going to do this, and then 12 <laughs> hours later, it's something completely <laughs> different. But I will say, going into the season, it felt like you could say recruits want to know what's going on at USC. They want to know if he's either gone or staying. And that will give them some kind right. of, you know, a, a, a point that they can anchor themselves to and say, I know what's going to go on there. I can make a decision yeah. now. It feels like that is kind of passed by a little bit in terms of if you say if you if you buy in to Clay now and say he's staying 
it doesn't feel like that was gonna that's gonna give you the same no. you know jump right forward. there's no security With because then it's because just another it starts, year it starts again in the yeah spring, it's another know? 12 months so then we're right. like okay well he's back for this year but right. then he will he be back in 2021 right. you can't keep playing that game and that's kind of the year to year that they've been dealing with for now over a year mm-hmm. that it's just another reason why I don't believe that he would be retained mm-hmm. under any circumstance and so therefore this game this weekend you know people might want to draw a parallel even to like Orgeron in 2013 I wouldn't though I don't think it matters at all for mm-hmm. Clay Hilton I don't I mean personally it will to him of course but right. I don't think in terms of him keeping a job I think it's irrelevant yeah they can, and, win, by, they can win by 30 I don't think it matters right I mean I, I think like you mentioned, they had they had their shot. The Oregon game, I think, was I think even still then, that might have been a shot if, if they had been able to, to beat Oregon and really win their way on a big winning streak at the end of the season. Yeah. Win their way into the Pac-12 championship game, and even then, maybe it's something where you know a, a close loss and and he's okay. I'll but, tell you this: those are all sort of hypotheticals now because yeah, you get drummed in that game, and that now that becomes almost like point A of yeah. why why you need to go a different direction. If Utah were to lose Saturday night after USC beats UCLA, this is all a hypothetical, mm-hmm. I could see them allowing Clay to coach that Pactual title game, mm-hmm. but also even publicly announcing we're moving on sure. and we're giving him that game. Sure. And okay. and we're not giving him anything more because while, yeah, it'd be great a great treat for him to have the bowl game, we have to move on with our recruiting class right. and with the head coach mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. I could see him coaching that game if if and only if Utah were to lose Saturday night, which they're not going to. No. They're not going to lose Jerusalem. I, I couldn't imagine. But yeah, again, it's not you're not making decisions for the Pac-12 championship game. You're not making decisions even for potentially this year's Rose Bowl. You're, you're making decisions for, you know, again, Alabama next year, potential national championships in the next, you know, three to four years. That's... That's kind of where your thought is right now. Yeah. And how do you get to that? And if it's an interim coach in the Pac-12 championship game, maybe that's just kind of the way the way it is, the way you get there. Yeah. Mike Bone, what was your first impression? We met him just a couple weeks ago. Uh, what you what you kind of get from him and encountering him? You know, from from talking to him the thing that stands out to me is he comes to a football practice and goes one by one down the media talking introducing himself and, and just even like Lynn. press conference <laughs> yeah right that's the first thing i get asked oh that's that's what lynn swan did right no no that, that did not no, I, I never really met lynn swan <laughs> sure but at his press conference he stayed around he taught i mean yeah. he he is everywhere he is somehow everywhere on campus he's at every event he will talk to anybody he legitimately wants to hear from you not you you but <laughs> usc fans i mean anybody yeah. if if you reach out to him he absolutely will try to respond his best to anyone he wants to know how people feel about you know usc and athletics and, and all of that and for me hearing about him before he took the job it was that he's energetic and en- engaged and, and engaging too, but really engaged in kind of, he wants to know how student athletes feel about things, how they're doing, what can be better for them and, and all of that. And I just, I feel like it's a lot of positives. You hear from Colorado fans when he was there, they were glad that he left. They, they, they were kind of done with him. 
Cincinnati people, they, they really liked him. Yeah. And so if that becomes a thing where you learn from one job, take it to another, and now you're, you know, you've improved at your position, I don't, I don't see how that's anything but good. I mean, the, the, the fact is, when you looked at potential athletic directors, he was not on the tier 1A list. Right. But it feels like something where maybe this is kind of right time, right place, right person, where things kind of click and this is the kind of guy USC needs to step in after what has been here at athletic director for, you know, well over a decade now. Right. And so I feel like there were a lot of positive first impressions that he made with a lot of people at, at USC and around USC. Yeah. Yeah, I felt a lot of the same. Uh, he came off very determined mm-hmm. and, and spoke with almost an unusual conviction at an introductory conference. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help but just keep thinking about Clay Hilton um, and a little bit of Urban Meyer. I felt like they were kind of the two elephants in the room sure. uh, during that conference because he repeated a few times, uh, uh, you know, we're going to win. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have to win. And he, like, he understood that coming in, right? That, that wasn't more like, okay, like, this is what I should say or what we all say here. It was like they hired me to elevate this program because it's lacking, you know, with multiple teams. Mm-hmm. You know, too, too many of the big teams. The basketball team needs to be better. The football team, obviously. The baseball team. Sure. And, and – you can go down the line. You know, were, were USC just not winning at the level that they usually would, even in the Olympic sports? Right. And, but at the end of the day, I, he knew that it was about football too. And and he, he paid, I think, a proper respect and attention to the smaller sports mm-hmm. uh, in that conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, a lot of the questions were obviously geared toward football, and and I think a lot of his comments, even when they were broad they were about football right and that's why i think even if you look at his history with who he's hired at colorado he knows that he can't get this wrong mm-hmm. and he's gotten it wrong there mm-hmm. and but i i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go i'm gonna jump in there okay. i feel like the colorado hires were defensible john Embry is is a little bit interesting but that's a guy who was at colorado i understood them back and hope it i understood them i just meant they they ended up they turn out to not be yeah mcintyre won more than anyone else has in a long time there but it it was kind of loaded you you can't have those results i understand the thought process of of the guys that he hired and and i think you can kind of side with him on that but certainly you're, you, you can't have the results right. that he ended up right. with. That, so that my point is he wears it. it right. You know, sure. uh, his process might have been defensible. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like oh, sure. no, no, paying no, attention no. very closely at the time. Right. But here, that, that's why going back to Clay, if he kept Clay, then, then that, that, that's kind of where his latency begins. Mm-hmm. And I think he understands that. I would would imagine he has to. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't think he would do it. Well, he talked about, and and Carol Fultz did too, winning and winning championships. I mean, there there were some words in there, like you mentioned, that were very specifically placed in there. The fact that he... Fight on to victory. To victory. That was He brought back to victory. To USC. Uh, to me, what also stood out, that that was the number one thing that stood out to me, that, yeah. that he said it in that way. 
the second thing that stood out to me was that he a addressed directly recruits. Yeah. Said, recruits, if you're if you're listening. Yeah. That struck me as somebody who's very much in touch with football. Yeah, and, and where things are at right now. And what is happening at USC right now. I understand. You recruit in every sport. Yeah. There, there, when you say recruits and you're an athletic director, you could be talking about any recruit for one <laughs> of the 21 sports at USC. Yeah. For me, that was football. Yeah. And then he had a question later that he sort of spun back to recruiting and went on for a long time about how important recruiting was, locking down Los Angeles, Southern California. You go out, get mm-hmm. national people. Like He, he was was dialed in to and on, on those two things that really struck me as him sort of setting up long term the way he could justify decisions yeah. and, and going in whatever direction that yeah. he ultimately ends up going. Right. Yeah. I caught all those things and, and that's why we're a couple of weeks removed from it. I'm glad we're talking about it because again, if I'm paying any attention to people on Twitter or a message board their feeling is that, well, uh-oh, USC just beat Arizona State, and they blew out Cal, and then what if they handle UCLA, and they've won five of six, and there's a feeling of dread about Clay, and which is kind of unfortunate because it's good to see the team rebounding and kind of playing more to its potential or closer to it or approaching it, and... Uh, and you're just seeing what they what they could be and should be yeah. in my mind, but but I think what they will be with a different coach in 2020. Well, the thing that's that's frustrating for me, and I and you know you totally understand kind of where the the fans are coming from, but it feels like there's it's gotten to it's got the the relationship between the I will say the some of the outspoken fans. There's you know it's one of those things that's tough when you sort of monitor things on the internet because it's skewed so much toward the people who make a lot of noise yeah. there, right? And, and, the loudest. And, there, and there's And they're it, anonymous. It goes both ways. There there's some people that are, you know, you know, constantly positive about things. There's some people that are constantly negative. But then there's a, a huge chunk that you never really hear from in those environments. Yeah. You know? And so it's hard to you you kinda have to remind yourself that Everyone that you're reading on the internet does not speak for every fan right. out there, but but that but, is a hel- that is a healthy chunk of the fan base. Yeah, and in this instance, I think it's like a high majority. I I I would guess that too. But the the thing that is, I don't know what the word is. It's it's bothersome, not not those people, but the fact that this whole thing is kind of overshadowing what you're seeing from Keaton Slovis this year, what you're seeing from Michael Pittman this year, what you're seeing from the improvement in some of those guys in the secondary. You know, like that that yeah. is kind of the stuff that is going to get overlooked because there is all this yeah. outside noise. And that's unfortunate because there's a lot of guys having some, some pretty good years this year and with a different sort of coaching situation. I'm not even talking about you know, the team would be better. No, you mean it'd be more appreciated. But yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like Michael Pittman is going to get through his career at USC and puts up, put up some pretty outstanding numbers. And in three years, it's going to be like, hey, remember when Michael Pittman was on the team? You know, like he's not, he's not getting the attention and it's picked up in the last week or two, but that's a guy that that I feel like, you know, could have gotten more attention. I'll give you a stat right here. 
the numbers that he projected to finish with, if he were to just keep his averages in the final two games that they're guaranteed, UCLA in the bowl game, only Marquise Lee and Keyshawn had seasons, uh, same season where they had more catches and more yards yeah. than what Pittman is projected to finish with. I mean, he's th- right third in receptions, third in, in yards in nationally yeah. at this point. Like, th- there's teams out there. I get that USC throws the ball a lot. There's teams out there that have one wide receiver and throw it to him on 80% of their <laughs> You know, like he's splitting with a lot of other good guys. At, at Arkansas State or at, yeah. you know, schools like that yeah. where, like, that's all they're doing and they put up ridiculous numbers. He's, he's number three yeah. in receptions and yards. He's been incredibly consistent uh, for the last two years now. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's kind of, you know, he's been a joy to watch. And again, like I said, it's tough when that gets overshadowed by, we don't want him to do that because if they win too many games, you know, that, that they're going to get stuck with the head coach. And it's like, I, you know, you, you hope that people are appreciating kind of what they're seeing from specifically him, but from a lot of guys on, right. on you know, both sides. Right. Yeah. I mean, the moral of the story, don't be rooting for UCLA to win this game yeah, that, because you think tough. that it's going to put the nail in the coffin. Yeah, can't do that. Yeah, I think the coffin has already been prepared. <laughs> I don't want to get too morose here, but right. that's just what it works at. And, and that's why I think it's kind of, I think, fitting for Clay to kind of get this game and you hope he wins it and he can move on too. Mm-hmm. I think I think it'll work out. Mm-hmm. Okay, with all that said, there was a report Tuesday evening by the LA Times in which USC beat writer Ryan Karchi spoke with Mike Bone. Really, really interesting to have him comment on this situation, which ordinarily you... you Everyone's silent, and you don't get anything out of anyone uh, on the record in Heritage. And uh, kudos to Ryan for getting it. But what'd you make of the comments from Bone specifically about not wanting to race into a decision on Clay Helton and, and not having a specific timeline that would do anything to jeopardize momentum or opportunities that exist? Yeah, I, th- I think you hit on it a little bit. The fact that he said anything is more interesting to me than what he specifically said. Because like you said, at, at this point in time, really the only thing you expected from him in terms of the statement is we're letting him go or we're keeping him on. I mean, just a definitive coming out and saying what's going to happen. And you certainly didn't expect that before the UCLA game right. and, and maybe not even in, in the day or two after that. But to, to say, again, to say anything that's not those just kind of throws more confusion into things. And, and I think what it ultimately ends up doing is making a lot of people uncomfortable with, do you know where you're going with this? I mean, it is it is something where he hasn't been here for that long, but certainly he has been here. Once he was here for 12 hours, that's long enough to know this is a serious decision that has to be make made and not something that can wait a long time. So I was struck by what you mentioned there, not wanting to race into anything because this is not a, a two-week issue that all of a sudden has cropped up. Yeah. And now, okay, well, we got to you know, take our time to figure out what we're going to do. This is something where, you know... I, he knew coming into the job that 
a coaching change was expected. Right. Right. And he was hired to do it, I believe. Right. And so the the way you can read into this is him kind of softening everybody up to ultimately say, you know, we, we again, he mentioned momentum and all of that to say, you know, we like how things are going and we're not going to make a change. I, I still don't I still don't totally buy that. I don't think that's the way no. things are going to go right. uh, at this point. But really what that does is it sets that up. And, and maybe you're diffusing some of this tension before the UCLA game and before a potential uh, trip to, to a Pac-12 championship game. But, boy, it just it, it, it to me, it causes kind of more confusion than gives clarity, which at this point, with everything surrounding USC, all you're looking for is is clarity right now. A, a, a clear direction that you're gonna go, uh, both as the athletic director and, and with the football program, with the head coach. And so, to me, it's one of those things, I, I don't put a lot of stock into, oh, everything he's saying is, you know, exactly what he believes, and this is exactly right. how, how it's gonna play out. Um, but I, like you, I, I thought it was interesting to hear from him at this time about anything that was, I, I mean, certainly anything other than uh, we're rooting for the team against UCLA sure. and we'll, you know, we'll figure stuff out at, yeah. at some point. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have advised his comment if I were in his corner. Uh, I don't think it was accidental. I think that there is a purpose behind it. And of course, I've been looking into it. And from what I'm told, it has more to do with the plan to wait out how the Pac-12 South title is decided. Meaning, if USC beats UCLA, then you know they're seven and two, and Utah will play that evening, Saturday evening, and they're playing at Arizona, and they're very unlikely to lose. Let's say they win. Well, of course, they have another game the following week. They're hosting Colorado. It sounds like, assuming USC beats UCLA, they're not going to move on Clay next week. They're going to allow Utah to play that game, really to give the team an opportunity to play in the Pac-12 title game with their head coach if they earn that that distinction. Mm-hmm. That's the working plan, which is uh, not something that I really foresaw. I, I, I figured personally that a move on Clay would happen next week. That's just kind of what I've been expecting for a long time now. Uh, even prior to Bone being hired, I kind of thought that with this little gap between the end of the regular season for USC and everyone else and that conference title game, if they're not in that game, then they're probably going to move on Clay then, really because of recruiting. I think that's the area in which uh, I don't know if if the administration has a good perspective on. Uh, Unless you're going to keep Clay and you're going to come out and, and announced that we're extending him and that's our head coach for you know multiple years you're not really I think communicating anything positive to 
to targets and prospects right now. And that's why they're not here right now. That's why this recruiting class is so poor because they, they saw Clay as a lame duck coach in 2019. Well, you can't just bring him back for a year. You're just doing it again. You're kicking the can a little bit further down the road and you're doing another year of this. Well, yeah, we, we have our coach who we probably won't keep beyond another year. You, you have to either keep him long-term or, or get rid of him. They have to know that. And I, I'm going to say that they do, but the urgency is now with recruiting. I think that the longer that you wait to make a move on him, uh, even if you, if you don't have a coach lined up right away to, to announce, let's say, the end of next week, and that's what I think is happening. I don't think they have anybody lined up, right. and I think that's part of it. I think that Bone is kind of telling everybody, like, hey, we need a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not ready to hire the next coach. So we might as well just wait this other week and see if, if Utah trips up. I don't think it's a matter of we're evaluating Clay, and if we get into the Pac-12 title game, then we're more inclined to keep him. Or even if they were to beat Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, we're going to keep him. I still believe and I'm told that they're going to get rid of him either way. It's just a matter of when and if they aren't ready to bring in a new coach immediately, then I guess they feel like, well, let's at least have someone ready to coach this team that's, you know, that's worked hard and, and earned a spot in the Pac-12 title game. Yeah, I think it's interesting because if you look back at the athletic director decision, it got to a point where you couldn't you couldn't hold on to Lynn Swan anymore and just let him be there while you looked. At a certain point, yeah. it had to be we we need a vacant job to fill yeah. so that we we can show people that we're serious about filling a vacant job rather than you know try to go sort of behind the scenes right. and, and talk to people. So. To me, this seems very similar there. Yeah. And it's one of those things, again, are you trading potentially, you know, really successful seasons two and three years down the road for let's have continuity just in case we back our way into this Pac-12 yeah. championship game? Yeah. You know, and that to me is is a really kind of interesting and, and debatable decision, I think. Well, it's short-sighted. <laughs> that, that's kind of what it feels like, right? Yeah. If, if the decision's been made and you know that it's not the long-term answer, you you got to get working on what the long-term answer is. He can coach this game if they were to play it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's problematic for him to coach it. I think it's problematic to not move on publicly if that's what you're going to do. Right. I'm not firing Clay Hilton. Right. right, but I'm saying that if you're going to, then you shouldn't wait any longer. Mm-hmm. That past UCLA, mm-hmm. I, I think some would argue they've already waited way too long, and uh, it, it obviously impacted recruiting dramatically. Mm-hmm. And but but now, I mean, you're you're getting to a point where you're about to punt on this class. It it won't be salvageable much longer. And I know that not any coach, any coaching hire would would flip all these recruits that are in play or that are undecided. But there's some. There, there. It. I think it would it would matter if you just announced publicly, Clay Elkin is no longer a head coach, 
and, and now we're in the market for another head coach. And, you know, all the rumors will will kind of pop up and all the names will be linked and you're going to hear, like, James Franklin and, and others. And even that gets people excited and, and the fan base will also recruiting. But you only have a couple weekends for official visits now. And the issue, too, is you're going to get other schools. They, they can use official visits, too. They can use unofficial visits. I mean, yeah. they're, they're going to push they they know which guys usc will target yeah. you know oregon washington some of these national schools they know if usc is able to get any kind of momentum going on the recruiting trail no matter what happens helton stays someone else comes in yeah. anything these are the guys that they're going to go after and they they can start locking those guys in for visits you know the the final weekend before right. signing day they can say you know they, they can put a full court press on to where it becomes really difficult for USC to bring them in and sign them because and, and make them make a decision with really, you know, you're getting to, to where it's a week and a half, five days, three days, you know, before signing period when they have these really long standing full relationships with these other coaching staffs. So the idea that it's going to be kind of snapping your fingers and all these guys come running, I think that's selling short a little bit what some of these other staffs are capable of with recruiting. I mean, Oregon staff is that they have some incredible recruiters on their staff and they've come in, they've gotten a ton of kids that USC would like to have. And in, in past years would have, would have. I mean, the, yep. these last two classes that Oregon yep. uh, has signed and looks like they will sign. Right. So that you're, I mean, you're right. That's getting to a point. And again, these kids, they hear from parents, from seven-on-seven seven coaches, from friends, you know, that uh, years ahead of them, they're in college right now. And it, it feels like even if you say Helton is, is staying and extended, that doesn't give them a sense of comfort of, oh, okay, well, he's obviously going to be my coach for the three, four, five years that mm -hmm. I'm there. It's going to be... They're still going to hear from all those people. It's going to be the same thing. You know, all, yeah. everything that sure. all the USC players on this roster right now have been through in terms of kind of off the field noise that they've had to deal with yeah. during their careers. You're signing up for that. And right. It won't be believed tough. that he would be here long term. Right. Right. I, I think at other schools, you've seen it where a coach has maybe been in hot water, like, like say Brian Kelly. Mm -hmm. And... But they did recommit to him, and now that was already three years ago. But with Clay, I, I don't think it would really be believed beyond another year. I think people would expect that if he were to come back, mm -hmm. that it would only be a year. And, I mean, I didn't hesitate to like put a percentage on it. I really thought it was zero, to be honest. Uh, even like I said, even if there was a one percent chance of Utah losing one of these games and then USC winning that Pac-12 title game, even then I felt like I know they're going to the Rose Bowl, but he's lost the fan base. Uh, he's lost the community, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's unfortunate. I mean, I think he's done everything that he knew to do and could do, but that's just the way it kind of played out for him to where if you're not bringing in recruits and you're not winning enough and people aren't going to the game, I mean, they're just bleeding money. And that's why I've, I've been convinced and I've been told, too, by, by very good sources that this is happening, that he's not going to come back. 
So I think it's been so quiet the last couple of weeks, like we talked about earlier, that people are starting to wonder, and I think they're they're afraid that something's happening here, and it, it could get weird, and maybe they keep clay. Do you think that there's even a remote possibility of that? I, I you know, I want to say no, but then you've seen, you know, you've been around <laughs> USC long enough to know that kind of anything can happen. I, the, for me, it's. It's hard to imagine a scenario where someone could win their conference, go to the Rose Bowl, and be let go. The reason that I think it could happen here is it feels like all of the kind of capital has been spent. So that every every win, that there's just no... There, there's no uh, kind of margin for error to where when you're going into every game it feels like if they lose this game he need, he needs to go yeah and, and it's just i mean even going into the rose bowl it would feel like that if if you kind of play this out in your mind like every loss they're ready to fire right and if it feels like if you play this out in your mind and they've beaten oregon in the pac-12 championship game yeah that that would be a a massive win i right. mean based on where oregon would be ranked yeah uh and what they've done this season and where USC's, you know, obviously... I mean, they've already played and they got outscored right. by 49 points and that was during at, a quarter of the game. In L.A., to go to, yeah. to Northern California, if you go beat them, that would be a huge win and a real sign that, man, this this team can play with those teams and be really good. It still doesn't feel like... I mean, it, it still does feel like fans and, and media and kind of everyone surrounding would still be edgy your seat as you're going to that Rose Bowl with if they lose this game do can you know do they have to get rid of them and yeah. that's a, it's a tough spot to be in there every you single can't live game. like that. if they lost to Arizona no. State do you get rid of them if they yeah. lost to Cal do you get rid of them if right. you, you know and it just it doesn't feel like at this point you can build up enough wins again if you beat Oregon if you win the Rose Bowl if you beat Alabama next year in September sure but yeah. are you willing to kind of wait and wait and wait and wait because if you try to wait you know all of that out and you know yeah what's well, in the video game. happening is, yeah. is you know so slim but if you try to wait all that out you're pushing your potential so far away yeah. you know because because there is going to be no matter who comes in there is still going to be like a rebuild you know guys, right guys right. are going to get not you know not chased out but it, it always happens there's yeah. Kind of when a new coach comes in, there's players that don't really mesh with how that's going. And so, mm -hmm. again, the idea that there's going to be just this light switch clicked, like there's a lot to work with here, but there's still going to be kind of a figuring out period. And so the farther you push that, you know, the longer it's going to take to get to get through that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's wholly unrealistic. Uh this is, life is not a video game where you can just kind of pick up from this point in the year with a uh, a new imaginary coach and his coaching staff with this team mm -hmm. and, and start recruiting and everything just kind of, you know, goes along smoothly from there. I, they have to get that started now. And that's why I think ultimately they will, but it might just be another week. If they were, if they were, if they were to lose to UCLA, then... You can expect them to be fired next week. But if they beat UCLA, then it sounds like they might be waiting a week. And it's, I mean, it's interesting. You move the, 
the banquet up to talk about you know recruiting wanting to be able to get a, a weekend of recruiting in and yeah. um it just it, it feels like you're trying to play both sides of the fence right now and that's a really tough spot to be in and it usually ends up kind of biting you with whatever direction you you do end up going i think one thing that all of this tells us is that urban meyer feels further and further away mm-hmm. right that that's someone that I still believe and I'm confident in my reporting that they're going to pursue him. But what we've never known definitively is whether he wanted to coach mm-hmm. again or coach right now. I, I, I guess I, I'm expecting that he'll coach at some point again, but I don't know that he's going to coach in 2020. And if the job's available and he's in LA and they don't get him, then I guess he's not ready to coach yet. I think, yeah. So, so what I've said about Urban Meyer, the way what I feel is he is not going to go. I, I don't feel like he's going to go into a situation where it's going to take a ton of work to get back to what he's used to. I, yeah. I think he's going to want to walk into a situation. He's, he's done building programs, right? Yeah. He's going to walk into a situation where he can look around and say, this thing is re- it's ready to win right now. You know, he, he'll want to kind of implement some of the stuff that, that he does and some of his tweaks, but I just, and, and so that's where my curiosity is with all this. If he looks at USC, the way it's structured right now, or even, even if there is an offer made and, and they do kind of present, here's what we can do and this is what it'll look like, uh, I, I would be absolutely curious to hear his thoughts on what he would change or fix or how far away they might be or or if this is right in line yeah you know this is this is a place where they have it structured now where he could pick up and go but that that to me is is the one question i mean this situation almost never happens where you have you have the easiest most obvious answer kind of down the street yeah uh and it feels like there's two really, you know, it's a, it's a puzzle of two pieces and there's just laying there and, and it wouldn't take, you know, a, it would take a two year old to kind of put them together. Um, but it's just kind of figuring out if, if those pieces want to go together, you know, and, and I think that's kind of, that's going to be the question. And I don't know if, um, I don't know how many times it might change even from either side, you know, thoughts about like, oh, the, you know, it's not going to work. Then a couple of days later, you know, that that's kind of something that comes yeah. up a lot, too, where you have a story and it's absolutely true on Monday. And then all of a sudden on Thursday, it's like hey, tons of stuff has changed, you know, in, in between uh, those few days. So that's something that's going to be absolutely kind of fascinating to, to watch play out. Well, I think a lot of us felt that they're very likely to move on Clay right after that UCLA game because then they would put the full court press on Urban when really it'll be hard for them to gain too much traction with another coach who's actively coaching. I mean, everybody else still has another week Mm -hmm. and then some of them will have conference title games Mm -hmm. even if USC doesn't. With Urban, you, you have none of that. And... And are you trying to hire a coach before the early signing period? <laughs> I don't know anymore. But if you're if you're waiting on Clay another week, 
then maybe that wouldn't really matter with other coaches because they wouldn't be they wouldn't be available next week anyway. Uh, but again, it, it, going back to Urban, I just think it it's not a great sign um, unless you have that locked up, right? If you have if you have Urban locked up and uh, and he's coming and then you don't really feel the pressure of a timeline mm-hmm. or an urgency to to move on Clay, you're going to do it. You just are going to wait for this conference title game because you want to reward him with that. And uh, again, I think it's more about the team. It's more about the players. And if they were to play in the Pac-12 title game, I think Bone wants them to have their head coach to lead them to that game. And I do think that's fair. I mean, the, totally the players fair. love Clay Hutton. Right. They, you know, every one of them publicly will absolutely stick up for him. We heard uh, Almara St. Brown this week talk about you know how much he loves him, and he was a big reason that well, he, came. he came to USC. And, and yeah, you don't want. And that's why it always kind of struck me as, as making that decision during the season was kind of unfair to a lot of the players, too, where now they've got to adjust and it's, a, it's another coaching situation that, that a lot of them have to go through. So, you again, you understand kind of where everything is and why people are saying things. Yeah. And it's like I said, it's just... It's tough to make everybody happy in this situation because yeah. there's a lot you're of people not going that to. want two very different things. Yeah, no, you're not going to. You can, like I said earlier, you can publicly announce that Clay will not be back and he can coach that game. He can even coach a bowl game. Like, that, that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happened with New Highville at UCLA mm-hmm. uh, in 2011 where he did coach the, the Pac-12 title game even though that the beginning of that week they announced that they were moving on from him. Uh, I mean, it's rare and it's awkward, but... Uh, if you're trying to, I guess, honor Helton, you know, with what he's earned, which he would have earned that game, but you can still, you know, he hasn't earned 2020. If, he, if that's the way you feel about the situation as an athletic director, that you need a new head coach, then you're not obligated to keep him either. So I don't know that it's that complicated, but I think it's just going to be viewed as, a, as I think complicated when you know if they were to play in the Pac-12 title game or if they were to win the Pac-12 title game I think that's where it, it will get kind of weird I think people are going to start to to feel and think different things about the whole thing I think it can make USC look sort of unjust or or clumsy if they're if they're getting rid of their coach that just beat Oregon to go to the Rose Bowl. And that's and, why I think you need to do it earlier than right. later. And, and I think you can't, I mean, the, the big thing too is if you do go that way, you can't, you know, bungle the hiring process to where no. it's public that you've offered five different guys and, and yeah. been turned down. Like you need, <laughs> you need to be able to go on a guy you want. If it's not, you know, 1A, you got to go get 1B. Uh, and you've got to be able to do that quickly because again, it's going to take time to get that finalized. It's going to take time uh, for a staff to come in. It's certainly like you're saying, if, if guys who want to come here as assistants eventually, that they certainly might want to finish out the season with their programs. And if they're you know coaching into late December or, yeah. or January, that's all. It's all recruiting time where they, you know they're they're doing that for another program. So it, it is 
you you are sort of getting up against it at this point. And, and I understand with the with the transfer portal now, with the way uh, recruits can sort of get out. We you know, we've seen them get out of letters yeah. of intent. Uh, I don't think if you know if you sign the ten guys or whatever it ends up being, you know, if if there's a couple more or a couple less than that that are committed in mid December, um, I don't I don't think it's the wor- a worst case scenario if you don't build your class by then. I think there's ways around that to add guys yeah. via the portal, and you know, there's all there, there's so many recruits in Southern California and. You know the system that the NCAA has set up. You know, you can say there's an issue. You want to get out, you come back home. You know, all of that. Um, so I, I don't think it's the the absolute. You know, you have to rush. And I guess that's where I would agree with kind of we don't want to rush into things and and the you know timeline and that kind of thing where um, you don't want to make the wrong decision just to try to try to and maybe not actually uh, save, you know, this recruiting class right now, because I think it's better to get the right decision, find the right guys sure. in the portal or the February signing period, yeah. and then really get to work on that 21 class. Yeah, make the right move, not the, the first move. I agree with that. With that said, while Irving could flip a lot of people on his name alone, mm-hmm. A lot of other coaches won't do that. No. I, in fact, I don't even know another coach that would really do that right now. I mean, maybe if, if they were to land like a, hypothetically, a Bob Stoops. Sure. That'd be a pretty big deal. That sure. would kind of, you know, raise some eyes. The and, kind of Herm Edwards celebrity coaching that, you know, pulling right. somebody from, from kind of that yeah. uh, area. Yeah, a guy that has a brand. But most other coaches... I don't think are going to have that type of cachet. But they're, you know, if they're actively coaching right now, then they would have targets that they're working on, that they're probably bringing to their current school. And, and you need them working here. You need them working on, mm-hmm. on getting them here. And, and that's why I don't think you can afford to spend a lot more time. I mean, Bowman's been here for almost three weeks and I would have thought or I would think and I, I can't say otherwise but his comments just lead me to believe that maybe this isn't happening I would have thought that this would basically be all he's doing mm-hmm. right now I mean other than obviously acclimating himself and you know introducing himself to everybody mm-hmm. I think it would be all about football and all about figuring out that hire and and getting that lined up and, and vetting that situation thoroughly so that he would have somebody ready to go or have his little narrow three-man list and and ready to make the offer and sign someone you know, by the end of November mm-hmm. because of everything that needs to happen in the ensuing weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Like, you know, there's... There's kind of postseason stuff going on for other sports, and I get he had to sort of touch all the all the you know sports and wants to show that he's out there for everybody. So again, the the other side of that is maybe that was done in the first you know 72 hours of him being here, and and he came in with that plan, and that was part of the kind of interview process, and mm. you know some of that's been done. So, uh, but but you're right. I mean, it it feels like that was. 
that that was the big thing. Come up with an answer to this so that we can get going on it. Uh, and and now it'll just be kind of timing to see how things play out. Yeah, very interesting time. All right, Michael Pittman. You we mentioned him a moment ago. You don't initially think of him as you know in that that inner core of all-time great receivers. At least I don't initially. Right. But like I mentioned, he's having a season that is almost as good as anyone's had just by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, because maybe the winning's not attached to it. I think, like, I mean, for me, it's, like, clear to me that, like, Mike Williams had more impact or, right. you know, a couple of these other guys. And mm-hmm. Keyshawn, of course. Right. But Pittman's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like, really, really good. Good, so good that it makes me think more about the guys in the last decade, and I'm I'm wondering is he better than Juju? Is he better than Aguilar? Is he as good or better than Marquis Sweet Robert Woods? Or or it just I, I mean now's the time to even mention it because it, it's not like we're going to learn anything more about right. him. He's got two games left, right? So I don't need any more numbers to kind of prove it. Yeah, where do you put him? I mean, the, the problem for Pittman is, is the numbers, the, the multiple year numbers, right? He had yeah, the, the, the freshman year where numbers. there was, you know, almost Career nothing. And, and coming into his senior season, you look at his numbers. I mean, you really, coming into the season, you looked at anybody on the roster's career numbers, and that no, nobody had anything. I mean, yeah. no, nobody yeah. this Barnes year. Barnes was decent. Sure, but nobody this year was, you know, going to crack the top yeah. five career right. of anything, you know, yeah. th- things like that. Um, so he had that, you know, the fact that he doesn't have another year because he he played as a true freshman. And then, again, the fact that he had kind of whatever the offense was last year. So he didn't he was, have... And he was really good last year. Was, yes. there, there were points where I thought, you're the best player on the team right yeah, now. Yeah. And so he didn't have that big year that you thought, here comes a, a huge year, you know. And so there was that kind of... When you don't have the expectation of man, he's gonna you know blow the doors off this year. It takes a while yeah. to catch on a little bit that it's happening. Uh, I Marquise Lee and Robert Woods, boy, in, in terms of recent, those guys are gonna be hard to to track down. Yeah. They could do so much uh, with the ball in their hands, without it, you know, yeah, like yeah, all yeah. of that stuff. And then they were they were so quick that they could be gone in a second. Pittman feels like he, he's obviously it's a different not, game. He's not as fast as those guys, but. How do you want to weigh things, right? Like, did did Marquise Lee or Rubber Woods pick up as many yards after contact, or as right. many or fifty fifty balls? Right, right. Could you just throw it up? You had to design things where maybe yeah. they got more open than than Pippen has to do. So that's it's an interesting thing. But I I might slot him right in terms of recent receivers. I might slot him right there behind those two. Okay, I, above Juju then in Aguilar. I, I think right there with Juju. Okay. And and if I have to split hairs, yeah. I think Again, Juju had, you talk about winning, you talk about, um, but, but, you know, when you talk about kind of highlight plays for me, Juju, the stiff arm obviously is yeah. going to come up for him. I think Pittman has more. The catch against Penn State. Yeah. But, I, you know, Pittman has, he has some too. Like, the, he's got the, the, you know, kind of the punt return, which he didn't have to do a ton oh, yeah, yeah. but he's got, you sure, know. Sure, sure. I forgot about that one, but you're right. But then the jump ball, I mean, the Utah jump ball where he goes up, catches it, and then kind of stiff arms the guy for about 20 yards as he's <laughs> running away from him. But that's where you see, like, he can run a little bit. I mean, he yeah. he does have some speed. So, 
Uh, but but I think he's up there. Guy, you know, Keyshawn and, and Mike Williams for me are beyond. They're one and two. Any of those and guys. like I go back and forth on. I don't even know which one's one, but they're right. one and two. Right. And then I think there's a big gap. I think so, so. Yeah. I'm glad we're right. Yeah, we're in sync. Yeah, that's I, I put those two guys as first. Keyshawn would be one for me. That, won, that was my boy. Yeah, that was my boyhood yes. idol, and that was always my number one. Right. And then Mike came, and I'm like, oh wow. Yeah. Like, He's incredible. You do some things that Keyshawn couldn't. Keyshawn did things that you couldn't. Right. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. It hurts. <laughs> I'm not picking between like, like like picking between children or something. Right. Right. But yeah, I think I think Pittman is there, and and I don't think that we were having that conversation coming into the season. No, you know, I, I think he he needed this year, and he got during spring. He was the one guy that I kind of consistently said you. That it feels like there's a skilled position player every year that goes from senior to junior. It, during that transition, they're going through that in the spring. Yeah, where they're making that you know going into their final season, uh-huh. and they just it, it you can feel it right like. Every practice, it's like that guy is delivering and takes his game to another level. I, you know, um, the one that I really remember is Dwayne Jarrett, and he he never played as a senior, but going yeah. from sophomore to junior year, it was yeah. like this the, this guy means business this year. This something special is going to happen here. And so, it actually, was freshman guy. and sophomore year for Dwayne. Sure. Oh, four to five. Yes. Yeah. Right. The last year was more Steve Smith, actually. Right. He kind but of. I, yeah. I just mean showing up during spring ball and oh, like okay. looking like okay. this was going to be a, di- a different year from last year. Yeah. And I don't mean that that uh, they got you know demonstrably better. It's just like taking on that leadership role and that knowledge yeah. of like I'm the best guy out here. I'm going to make every single play. Yeah. And that, that's what and, it felt like from Pittman this right. spring. Yeah. I mean, he's. The debate would be pretty good between him and Juju because I, I think Juju will kind of pop off in, in everyone's mind as being a more dynamic player, uh, just a different body, a little bit shorter, sure. uh, but really bulky mm-hmm. uh, in a good way, but not as good of hands, right? Right. Um, I think both of them probably lack the the separation that you hope for in a top flight receiver, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's why they, Juju fell into the second round, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't expect Pittman to go in the first round. Right. I think he's a day two guy. Right. I don't think you go wrong with either one. I'm having a hard time. I, I feel like I want to <laughs> pick one here, and I don't know that I can. Yeah. But I, I guess I feel good about putting Aguilar behind them. Yeah. I think so. And I think some of the other guys that are definitely all-time greats, but maybe lower on the list, uh, I think Pittman has maybe surpassed Kerry Colbert, his actual receivers coach. Yeah. Uh, maybe Conway and Morton, who I, I watch them and I like them a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think that they're below them. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, about, what about Steve Smith? <sighs> yeah. And Jerry. You know, Steve Smith, for me, I, I really liked Steve Smith, and I think he did a lot as a receiver. I think there's some of that, and, and I understand Pittman is playing with some good wide receivers. I think Steve Smith benefited from the team he was on a little bit. There was a lot of stability yes, at the right, time exactly. for both of them, for exactly. Jared and, and Smith. Right, and so, I, you know, the Pittman, Jared, I mean, Jared has some unbelievable career numbers yeah. at, at USC. Yeah, yeah. You know, touchdown receptions. He would own every record if he had played four years, yeah. and he owns enough of you know these records right. in three. Right. But I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really okay putting Pittman up against against Dwayne Jarrett even. Okay. Um, yeah. At this point, I, I, I think he's been that good. Yeah, he's a tough player. Yes. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> now, Jarrett was clutch, too. I think they both are, but yeah. Pittman maybe a little tougher. Maybe. Yeah. Thicker. Yeah. Maybe. Um, and I, I think Steve Smith is underrated. I think yes. he's kind of hard to place sometimes because yeah. he was often the number two guy. Right. And only later would, would John David Booty kind of become his go-to guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard because there's so many different different body types. So it's, you know, Steve Smith, Robert Woods, that sort right, of thing. Right. Like, I'll give me one yeah. of those on one side. Right, and right. Pittman, Jarrett, you know, yeah. on, on the other side. Yeah, they kind of belong with, be the, with Mike Williams and Keyshawn. Right. Yep. And Juju is, I don't even know. He's yeah, kind of he's a, a hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. Marquise is kind of, you know, I don't know if I'd put Marquise on either side too because he had some some strength to like some wiry strength to him too he could go make some physical plays and yeah. his speed was you know kind of out of this world I think a point to it all is that it's hard to enter that fraternity mm-hmm. right which and there are more we haven't named everyone I don't no. want people to think that we're dismissing sure. I mean we didn't even mention Lynn Swan of course right but, but there, there are others but just to even enter that conversation, I think it's such an honor. And that's where I think that's why I wrote about over the weekend where when Kerry Colbert himself, who I put in that group as a whole, you know, the, the bigger group was like, yeah, he, he's one of the best to come through here. And you have to put him in that conversation. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a bigger deal at UFC than maybe any other school in the country at that position. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's some schools that are putting together some wide receiver stretches right now. Like Clemson right. has guys, Alabama has guys, but I mean, it's it's USC, we're going back right? decades. If you're, if you're picking a position, yeah. chances are USC's got a really strong heritage at, at that position. Yeah, so well, they, they whenever, were recently named wide receiver. You sure? And, and whenever you're talking about being, you know, potentially a top ten guy at, at that spot, then yeah, that's that's a big deal. Big deal. Okay, there's been so much to talk about. We have to talk about USC UCLA. We haven't really gotten into that at all. Yeah, almost an afterthought for, for what's going on. This <laughs> right. Uh, well, I, I just learned, or we both learned, that we were here at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did not cross paths on campus. Uh, we just did different types of media and had different majors. But we were here, uh, we directly overlapped in our time, which means that we got here when Pete Carroll got here. Mm-hmm. And Matt Leiner and Sean Cody and that first group. Uh, that, that championship core that was built in 2001. I thought I'd ask you if you had any particular USC UCLA memories that you want to share. Yeah, you know the the one that stands out, and I and I just thought of it now when you said it. Uh, my freshman year, 2001, was the the 27-0 game. Um, back then, you had a, a you know student card. Yeah. And for UCLA, you had to tear off you know, the, the UCLA portion and go take it into the ticket office. And then they would just give you kind of random student tickets. Right. So I ended up on about the 30, 35 yard line, second row. Okay. So I was kind of field level. And, you know, before that for, for the other games, we'd sat up, you know, a little, a little bit higher, but yeah. So we were down low for that. The other games weren't assigned, right? It was right. No, you just section. sat. Yeah, you sat. But you still you had a seat. Right. And I remember we were, that. I was never there close. Uh, I was never there early enough to be yeah. able to get. Yeah. Down low. Row two. Um, I'm jealous. So we were right. We were right on the field. Uh, and so for me, the the I mean that whole game was just kind of insane. You yeah. Know, based on, um, 
where USC kind of what what they'd done and what where UCLA was coming into that game. They were undefeated at that point. I think they were like sixteen zero. So that was and they kind of fel- faltered and right, didn't yeah, win again. The Deshaun Foster right. car year. Yeah. <laughs> they they had some of that stuff going on. Um, but the Antoine Simmons interception, where yeah. it was like just this kind of magical between the legs, uh-huh. you know, interception return. But that game. That game absolutely stands out. There's other ones too. The you know Mike Williams later on. Yeah. Um, the catch over the the UCLA defensive back and then the salute. Um, some some plays like that. But that whole game, that that 27-0 game, you're just when you're down that low, it's kind of just this fog of noise going on the the whole time. Being yeah. up in the press box, it's like a you know it's a, right. certainly a different feel to it. Um, but yeah. that that game is one of those games that, that I'll always kind of remember when when you think about USC UCLA for me. No, same here. Uh, I vividly remember walking to the stadium for that game. I mean, that was going to be my answer. I didn't know that you were going to steal it and <laughs> rob me of my uh, yeah, my story. But but no, really, I remember walking uh, you know through the Rose Garden and toward the stadium and. In, Kind of the beauty of that game in particular, and wherever you're going, either at the Rose Bowl or the Coliseum, is that the fan base pretty split mm-hmm. in terms of the turnout. I remember walking through, and you know, there being a number of UCLA fans in the vicinity as I'm walking, and I'm overhearing a couple girls talking about how you know I can't wait till we blow USC out, and and I remember just standing there, kind of quiet, and and. In my mind, I'm I'm kind of enraged, and I wasn't going to say anything. It was just more like, oh, I, I hate UCLA. I've always hated UCLA, and I hate them right now. And and I remember just hoping that they could win because you did not go into that game expecting no. them to win no. or or knowing what would happen. Uh, it didn't seem like it was impossible. It just seemed at that that whole time, you know, in in the in the era and really for up until the Oregon game of 02 in my mind you didn't know if USC would win any game mm-hmm. like it got particular game mm-hmm. that you know just I, keeping it close in 2001 was good I mean that, yeah. that was kind of good enough and, and, and they did they did a lot of that yeah but so UCLA I, I'm just hoping that they can win but I'm not expecting it and I just remember thinking about those girls like for a while it just kind of like really bothered me the, how, how confident they were and how cocky they were and at the same time I, I, I thought like what if they're right like this, gosh that would suck to be here at the Coliseum and watch USC get blown out and I think I was still kind of scarred from the 90s from the eight in a row. Mm-hmm. I'd been to a couple of those games. I was there in 93, you know, with, with Rob Johnson and interception mm-hmm. when it looked like they had the game won and they're going to the Rose Bowl and that was pretty devastating. Uh, and there were others, of course. So I probably felt like they would lose, <laughs> if I'm being honest. You know, right. I, I, I don't remember so much of that. I just remember those girls and, and the way that they were talking about it. Like, yeah, like, we're winning this game, obviously. We're better than them, and this will be fun. And, and so by the end of it, I, it wasn't even like I was thinking about the future or like, okay, yeah, next year they're going to be in the Orange Bowl. I, I didn't think anything mm-hmm. like that. It was more, 
it felt special to just be there in person because at that point in my life, while I'd been to a good amount of USC games, I had not had the, the luxury of going to like every USC UCLA game. Mm-hmm. I'd only been to a few, but I'd watched all of them mm-hmm. that I could. And USC had lost the majority of the ones that I had watched in my lifetime up until that point. So to be there for that and to watch that entire shutout. And I remember also I was with my roommate and we were not in row two. We were like probably like row, you know, 22 or something, whatever. But I had another friend of mine who was by himself and he's like, oh, hey, I'm, you know, I'm over here. And uh, I'm like, well, there's nobody in our row if you want to sit with us. Our, for whatever reason, our entire row was vacant other than me and my roommate. So he came and sat with us. So we just stood up the whole game. Mm-hmm. Like the, the entire game, we're just screaming and we're standing up. And uh, it, so it, yeah, that's like probably one of my favorite memories as a football fan. Mm-hmm. In any game. Even though yeah. like I've been to bigger games and, right. and seen better games. Right. That one has always been really special to me. Yeah, that and was it, a fun one. Now I want to go to the Mike Williams one that you alluded to. Yeah. I always remember that one because Williams was having, like, to me, the greatest game I'd seen by an individual uh, in person, like, ever mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure this is accurate. Eight catches in the first quarter, already over 100 yards, and then 11 by halftime. Yeah, I remember 11 he, at halftime. Yeah, he had two touchdowns, didn't play the second half, mm-hmm. which made it even, like, I don't know. It it, it kind of resonated even more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been nice to see him go for like 25 catches. Sure. But they were killing him so badly mm-hmm. that, you know what, we're not even playing him in a second half. Mm-hmm. It's like, like Kobe going for 62 or whatever it was in three quarters right. and not playing the fourth. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, it's it's kind of one of those... Any story about Mike Williams is a fun story to. to, to <laughs> I mean that that he I think he is you know Keyshawn was at SC for two years uh-huh. and, but, and Mike was there for two. But Mike Williams being there for two years feels that that feels more than anybody. Again, you know Junior Seau wasn't there for a lot. You know right. a lot, some of these guys weren't there for more than yeah. than two years. But uh, Mike He's Williams not longer. getting not getting that junior year. Uh. It is one of the biggest kind of what if things for me, kind of in USC history. I think he, in that offense, another year. You know, this it's not with a lot of those guys. They're playing as you know juniors and seniors. Those are the right. the two years. Uh, for him to do what he did as a as just a freshman sophomore right. is, is incredible. For him to again not get that that third year was I know that, that was that's a tough one that's, and they that's went undefeated without him right right <laughs> you would have loved to have seen him in, in that offense sure no I I thought he was the best player and I would argue that even well after the fact uh, that I thought he was uh, even better than Reggie now I get Reggie can do more right, right. more versatile right. sure uh, it, it's not really the point I just got, I thought Mike was a greater player personally mm-hmm. which most people I know they wouldn't agree. I just, you know, I understand that. I'm aware of that. Sean Cody agrees with me, <laughs> and he played with both of them. So for him to that agree with me, something. yeah, yeah. Now Sean was not with Mike, or he was not with Reggie for '05, mm-hmm. but he was there for '04 and '03. Sure. And in '04, you, you saw what Reggie was, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and uh, he went to another level in '05. But it wasn't like he was a markedly different player. Mm-hmm. I think Sean knows 
you know, how good Reggie But that's the year you didn't get with Mike Williams, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the year you didn't get to see yeah. for, for him. Well, he was so good that despite this running back trio of Herschel Guinness and Reggie and Landell, while young but still dynamic, they were still throwing the ball a lot, a lot more than they needed to because throwing the mic was a better play than any run play. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. how good he was. Yeah. Yeah, he was fun to watch. Yeah, and I, I, we talked about it earlier. I... I don't know who the best receiver is in all time. <laughs> I, if you, Keyshawn was my first love. So yeah. if you want to say Keyshawn, and I'm with you, but if you say Mike, I'm not going to argue either. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really hard. It's a, it's a good one-two punch that I see has. I mean, you could do it at any position. You know, you, you take the top right. guys, and right. you're kind of splitting airs a little bit about Yeah, I mean, you do that quarterback, right? Right. There's... I mean, I, I think Matt Leiner would kind of run away if, if you took voting, but there's going to be a ton of Carson Palmer fans out there too. And yeah. even some, you know, of the of the older fans, they'll go back to their guys. And obviously it's a, a completely different game. Um, but, but there's a lot of guys from back there that people would throw out as, as kind of best USC quarterbacks too. Well, since we talked about quarterbacks real quickly here, I want to slip it in. Keaton Slovis. Mm-hmm. I asked Clay a question after the game. If he thought Keaton as a thrower, just as a thrower, was the best that he's had. Because now he's been here a decade, and he's had Barkley and you know Cody, and then even Winnick could mm-hmm. really throw the ball. Mm-hmm. He was a very good quarterback, sure. but he could throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, J.T., Darnold, Max, Keaton. Uh, those are the guys that essentially started while he's been here. Mm-hmm. I think Keenan throws better than any of them, just mm-hmm. as a thrower. I, I, he's not the best quarterback. Uh, he has more to do and more to learn and more to grow in. But throwing the ball, if you're just lining them all up and you ask them all to make these 10 different throws, I think he's going to make the best throws out of, out of that group. What do you think? It was We were maybe two or three practices in the spring ball. Okay. And I said... Keaton Slovis, the ball comes out of his hand differently than than any quarterback that I've seen over the last few years, and I and I don't mean just a USC. While I was covering recruiting and yeah. going to you know quarterback events and all that, sure. Uh, when when you hear people say you know he can spin it or like like I just said, it comes out of his hand differently. Yeah. It's just kind of this look. It's it's the motion that goes into it, and then it's. The spiral, but it's also sort of the, the again, just the way it comes out of your hand. It feels kind of effortless and it just looks different. I mean, I, and, and that's what I had said too. It looks like teaching tape when he throws. It's like, mm-hmm. do, do what that guy's doing. Just throw it, <laughs> throw it like he's throwing it. Yeah. And so that, that was, that, that was kind of my first real sense of him uh-huh. was there in spring. And it was easy to say he's not going to start this year. He was a right, true freshman. Right. JT Daniels. I just missed he's him not, for the first half of spring. Right. And I feel like I, I was stupid for doing so, but because right. I, I knew JT would be the starter right. come game one. Right. And, and, and I think that was not ever really up for debate, but short, you know, I, I think we all kind of shortchanged his chances of being that number two guy. Uh, Again, because you had guys with some game experience, and and you figured they're not going to you know throw him up there. But it, it again, 
he looked different and, and it looked like he was ready and you you know on our side we said a bunch of times this spring if you took away kind of sophomore junior redshirt junior true freshman if you took away all, all those kind of uh you know standings for everybody it was tough to tell who the you know most yeah. experienced guy was and right. who the most talented guy was. Well, and do this. You can make an argument. I, I have a little mental exercise for everyone, you including Eric. Okay, if you were to flip the recruiting ranking for JT Daniels mm-hmm. and Keaton Slovis, mm-hmm. but everything else that happened in the last year and a half involving them mm-hmm. happen the same way mm-hmm. right I'm not I'm not saying you flip their year I'm saying that JT comes in 2018 reclassified right. but he's only a three star guy mm-hmm. comes in competes for the job in training camp mm-hmm. does really well in training camp beats out Jack Sears Matt Fink has the freshman season which was okay you know there were there were some highs and lows mm-hmm. it was rough for the team obviously it was a bad offense comes back Keaton comes in as a five-star, comes in spring, but JT's like the incumbent starting quarterback, and he ultimately wins the competition coming out of training camp, mm-hmm. starts the opener, gets injured right when he does, and then Keaton had won the backup job and then starts going. And then has that Stanford game and everything thereafter. Mm-hmm. I don't think a single person would be calling for a competition at quarterback anymore. If you had just flipped that recruiting ranking going into from next, the beginning, going into next year, yeah, I like if you had flipped that recruiting ranking yeah. where Keaton had always been the five star. I mean, at this point, I'd be hard pressed to call for a quarterback competition next year. Like, you he, wouldn't. Keaton Slovis is the quarterback at, at right. USC, I mean, right? But there's still you know right. a right I, a group and, of people. And I understand that, and you yeah. want to see like JT Daniels has, has been through. I mean, what what he had to do to get to USC early, what he had to do to withstand kind of playing behind that offensive line and in that offense last year. Like you, yeah. you want to give him a chance to get like that. That was even even with how good Keaton Slovis is and how easy he is to root for as a person. Uh, it, it still hurts a lot for what happened to J, for for JT Daniels to have to go through what he did. I mean, it, it yeah. looked like he was going to have. He was set up to do well in this offense. I think know? he would have. And, and so to have that kind of taken away from him, then for Keaton to play the way he is, to have to now come back physically and mentally from that, it's it's a tough road. And you, you certainly don't want to just say you can't be the quarterback at USC anymore because he absolutely if he if he wants to stay and he wants to compete for it, yeah. absolutely deserves a shot too. It's tough to see Keaton Slovis doing what he did this year and then all of a sudden being told you can't be the quarterback at, at USC anymore. But I think so much of it has to do with, and that's the hypothetical, right? If, if you do make a change in yeah, a, yeah. a new and offense, right. who that's fits a big deal. that best? And again, with the transfer portal, maybe there's some guy at some other school who's a, a you know graduate transfer and he fits the offense best. So, yeah. so there's still so much... Kind of, it, it feels like you found an answer in Keaton Slovis this year, and then just like sort of everywhere else, there's still questions that, that you're right. going to have to answer going into next season. Yeah, no, it, it will be fascinating to see all envelop with a you know if if they have a new coach and and what they prefer. Uh, I mean, Keaton and Jakey they overlap quite a bit. They're they're not 
starkly different, mm-hmm. but uh, but they're not identical, and they do different things better than the other. Mm-hmm. I think there are things that JT does better and things that Keaton does better, but uh, I have still noticed that there is kind of you know that that cult falling for JT to be the quarterback in the future, and I I think that that's really people hanging on to not really what they've seen, but just what they believed coming into the situation mm-hmm. about both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he's of, talented. I mean, we you know we kind of all stood this spring. I think you could have won games with all four of those guys at, at quarterback. I mean, there, there was a lot well, I mean, of they, in that. They basically have, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, Sears, <laughs> he didn't win his game, but right. he, he played well enough to win. Right. But they, they won with the other three. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about the game quickly here. Uh, what do you expect to happen? Uh, I would, I'd expect USC to win. I, I don't, I don't, I think that getting them at home the way USC has thrown the ball the way UCLA has not defended the pass at all this season uh, and what happened last year I, I think that what happened last year was kind of an indictment of what the defensive line was doing sort of all season I think that yeah. it's better this year I think right. there's a, a better defensive line coach I think the defensive line talent is, is better but the um, run defense is not <laughs> it's <laughs> Yeah, I right, so, right. It's weird. So, yes, it's weird. It I weird. agree with you. Like the defensive line, fi- I think they can find more answers against UCLA this year uh-huh. than they were able to last year. Again, if if it turns out where uh, Josh Kelly is running for 290 <laughs> yards again this year, like, like <laughs> that's that's on me. I I didn't see yeah. that coming. Um, but I you know I don't see that happening. And if he's not running for 100. 30, 40, 150 yards. Um, I have a hard time seeing UCLA scoring enough points to keep up with what USC should be able to do offensively. And, and I think it's okay to kind of anticipate those things because UCLA turns it over at an even worse rate. Their, their turnover margin is the only team in the Pac-12 worse than USC's. Yeah. So you don't anticipate that kind of Oregon, you know, lopsided yeah. uh, turnover margin. And if that's the case, if it's kind of, if all things are, are equal there, um, would anticipate USC being able to, to get the win at home. Right. I mean, a year ago, I think there were different elements at play. You really saw Clay got coached. Uh, you, I think you saw a USC team that had really kind of, the word quit is like, I think, unfair and too strong, but they they given some, mm-hmm. right? Like, they let up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even by the end of the year, there were certain players that didn't want to play. That, mm-hmm. You know, cho- chose not to I play. I feel like what happened at the end of the Oregon game, but kind of stretched out <laughs> over, over the second half of that. Yeah. Season. I mean, the, yeah. and really the yes. second halves of the second half of, of that season last year. Yeah, right. And yeah, they were in the midst of that. They're, they're in a much different place. I think they're a better team. Uh, I think they're playing a, a kind of a comparable UCLA team, right? I mean, they're, they're probably a little bit better than they were a year ago, but they're not much different. Right. And I'd be surprised. I mean, I'd, I'd be very surprised if they lost. And I would not be surprised if USC won convincingly. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to move the ball. 
Uh, will they be able to run the ball? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of giving up on that. Right. And I, and I think they have a little bit, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think... You, you can tell when, you, when, when questions are asked about that, there's not really a concern. It's not, man, we, you know, we got to get the run game going. We got to do this. It's like, look, we, you know, we could throw the ball all over. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And so that, that's kind of what they settled on. And that's what's won them more than a few games this year. Yeah. Oh, and Keenan has improved. Mm-hmm. And he's smarter than he was earlier in the year. And he did not have a good game versus Oregon. So if he were to not have a good game, then they're in trouble because I don't think they can just win by running the ball. Right. I'd agree with that. But I, I guess I'm betting on him and I'm betting on their passing game mm-hmm. to do enough to win this game. Defensively, I don't know. They're going to give up points. Mm-hmm. They're going to give up some some running yards. Uh, UCLA will probably try to drain this clock a little bit to mm-hmm. kind of keep the USC up in cup field. It's, I mean, it's how many... Uh, 16 play, 75 yard drives UCLA can put together. Right, right? maybe and a couple, that, but I'm not guessing four right, or five. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you want to give a score? No. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. But, giving I, but score. I think I, you know, like the 14 point spread, 13, whatever. whatever I was surprised started, by that. That seems high to me. I, yeah. That seems. Not, that seems really high. I'm even not though I can see them winning can't. by that. Yes, exactly. But I'm not I'm, betting on that. I'm exactly. I was surprised that it started there, and it yeah. felt like an overreaction to the Utah UCLA game. Right. It, it felt like, oh, they're terrible, and that's there were some turnovers in there. You're playing they at the ball. Utah. Yeah. You, you know, they talked about. Afterward, they you know maybe not totally mentally focused there, um, but fourteen felt like a lot. I could see it eventually maybe being USC by by fourteen or so, but uh, it felt like you know laying that line at, at six six and a half something like that like felt felt a little bit uh, more based on how UCLA had been playing going into that Utah. Yeah, yeah, I, I got it be single digits maybe nine. Sure. Right. Sure. But thirteen and a half. Mm-hmm. So, but my, I do, I do think SC. You know, the, I, they I think, can win by that. I think but, they'll score. You know, thirty-five yeah. to, to forty, something in that range, and, and UCLA. You know, mid twenties. I'm just, I'm not encouraging anybody to to bet the, you know, <laughs> bet them to cover. No, they they might cover it, right? Sure. I kind of expect them to win by between ten and ten and seventeen. Sure. But. Yeah. If, if the line were nine, I'd say go for it. I can see that. It's not. Right. <laughs> so jumped. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, uh, thank you, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's been a good time. Uh, it's probably a good time to talk USC football with you. You can catch all of his work at wearesc.com, and be sure to check out mine at Sports Illustrated. And uh, I had a couple weeks off there. I was tied up, but I'll be back doing these weekly, uh, especially in the offseason. It should be fun. All right, everyone. Thank you.